Uh, good morning. Today's daf is daf Yud Gimel. I'm going to go from the sixth last line of Yud Beis Amud Beis 12b. Today's shir is Le'ilu Nishmas, um, Ben Sion Ben Zeev, Avram Alevi, Chaim Tzvi Ben Shmuel Meir, Shifra Shulamit, Bas Hirsh Leib, Yeshua Yitzchak Ben Shol Ruven Halevi. May their memories be a blessing and may their neshamas have an aliyah. And also may Arav Avram Ben Sion Ben Malka have a refuah shleima. Um, okay, so sixth last line of 12b. The, remember yesterday we discussed, we brought the Gomorrah Sanhedrin, which was discussing testimony. And we brought, um, we brought a Machlokas, Abaya and Rava. Um, but, uh, sorry, well first the Mishnah was a Machlokas, Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Meir said if the one witness says the incident, the murder took place in the second hour, and the other one said the third hour, their testimony is valid. The, um, Rabbi Yehuda says even if one said the, the incident happened in the second hour, uh, our, the third hour and the other one said the event happened in the fifth hour, their testimony is still valid. Abaya came along and said, minimize that. He said, oh, so Rebbe Meir basically witnesses either make no mistake at all or if they do, it's just a few minutes off. The incident must have happened at the end of the second hour, the beginning of the third hour, and that's why the one said the second hour and the one said the third hour. But if you found out that the witnesses made a larger mistake, then it would be then there would be invalid witnesses. We would reject their testimony. That's how I learned. Um, according to Rabbi Man, according to Rabbi Yudha. So again, it was half an hour or an hour, but relatively small mistakes. What people make. Then Rava came along and he said no. So that can't be pshat because the Mishnah says if the one says the second and the one said, let's just fo- focus on Rabbi Man for one to understand Rava's question on that. Rava said if the one said the second hour and the one said the third hour automatically we accept their testimony. Now what happens if the one meant the beginning of the second hour and the other one meant the end of the third hour? You can't tell me that we're blindly going to accept their testimony without checking that. So it must be when, the, when Rabbi Meir says, if the one says the second hour and the one says the third hour, it's valid, even if the one meant the beginning of the second hour and the one meant the third hour, we see that according to Rabbi Meir, a person makes a mistake of almost two hours. And according to Rabbi Yehuda, a person makes a mistake of all of up to of up to three hours, up to almost three hours. So that's how that's the machlokas Abai and Robin understanding the machlokas in Sanhedrin. Then we tied that in, we wanted to contrast that with our Mishnah. Because in our Mishnah regarding burning of Chomets, Doraisa, you have to get rid of your Chomets by the end of the sixth hour. Rabbi Meir comes along and says you have to get rid of your Chomets in the fifth hour. You can eat in the fifth, but you have to start burning at the beginning of the sixth hour. Now, that doesn't fit in with either Abaya or Rava. According to Abaya, you should have all the way up to Almost the end of the sixth hour, because remember, Kontubaya, Kontrivi, mad person hardly makes any mistake with the time. And how did he answer that? Um, so he said, no, because Edus is given. Oh, and then again, according to Rabbi Yehuda, he said that you stop eating Chomets in the fourth hour. Why all of a sudden do you need so long when, according to a buyer, a person makes at most, depending which version, either half an hour of a mistake or two hours of a mistake. So Abai answered, no, Edus is Masura, they're not arguing with each other. The Mishnah and the Brisa aren't arguing with each other. Edus Masura is risen and Chomets Lekol Masur. 
Eidos is given to everyone. Sorry, Eidos is only given, only Zrizim, only Alacritus, um, particular people would testify in a murder case, and therefore we can assume that they know the time better. Whereas, um, whereas Chomets, every single Jew has to burn their Chomets. So therefore, we don't uh, we give we open up to more leeway in a in a mistake in time, in what the time is. And therefore, we make them actually stop and a full hour before, even though it would according to Abai that would not strictly be necessary by Eidos. Then we brought it. Oh, and according to Rava, it should actually be more Bahamut. According to Rava, Rebbe Meir says people make a mistake of two hours regarding time. So he so according to him. You should stop eating comments at the beginning of the fifth hour. You shouldn't be allowed to eat comments for the whole of the fifth hour. And also, according to Rabbi Yehuda, a person should, uh, according to yeah, according to our Rava learned Rabbi Yehuda, you should stop eating comments at the beginning of the fourth hour because a person is not going to make a, makes mistakes of up to three hours. So, how did he explain that? So, Rava answered. Basically, it's got to do with where the sun is. People aren't going to make a mistake between the sun tilting from one side of the horizon to the other side of the horizon. And secondly, um, the, no one will make a mistake for the fourth hour, earlier than the fourth hour, because that's when they usually eat. And people are used to their daily cycles, so therefore they're not going to mistake, make a mistake past that time. So now, back now to put it into Al-Qumara, Omar Avashim, Machloikas Ba'edus, Kach Machloikas Bechomets. It's the same Machloikas, Ba'edus and Chomets. Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda in Sanhedrin, where we said they make a mistake of, let's just go with Rava, two to three hours. And here, where we assume they make a mistake of just one to two hours, where, where the time was just one to two hours, it says, it's the same Machloikas. says, Pshita Hainu Isn't that what we've just said? We've just explained why Rabbi Meir is not arguing, but why it's not contradictory in Rabbi Meir between Sanhedrin and Al Mishnah. It's got to do with where the sun is. And they're not arguing with Rabbi Yehuda because it's got to do with people, when people normally eat breakfast. So he says, Yeah, isn't that obvious? He says, Hainu um, no, what Rav Ash is coming to tell us is this is valid. And don't come along and say that it's actually a machloikes to know him. Don't tell me that there's actually two opinions in what did Rebbe Meir actually hold. Do people make a mistake of, of one hour or two hours? And don't tell me it's machloikes, what does Rebbe Yehuda actually hold? Do people make a mistake of two or three hours? No, the, it's the same Rebbe Meir and the same Rebbe Yehuda. We just have these different reasons why by Chomet the time is a little bit different. Okay, Omar of Simi, carrying on, Omar of Simi Barashi, Loishon, Ella Bishals, Aval Echon, Omer, Koydeman, Etzacham, Echon, Omer, Akran, Etzacham, Edusim, Betayla. This that we give the Adim so much leeway is just regarding to the time. But if one says it happened before sunrise and one said it happened after sunrise, then obviously their testimony is invalid. That's an irreconcilable error. Pshita, obviously. Obviously, that's a mistake. We're not going to, if someone tells you the time, oh, it happened at about 10 a.m., okay, then it could be 10, 30, 11 when it happened. But if someone tells you it happened before sunrise, 
How can you say no? They meant after sunrise. Rather, what you have to say if one says before Neitzachama and one says during Neitzachama, their testimony is still valid. Oh, isn't that obvious? Again, it's uh, clearly clear to see and easy to distinguish. You might have said that they're saying the same thing. And this that he said what, during sunrise, is because it started to glow. He thought it was the start of sunrise. That's why he said it was during sunrise. But it was really just the shining sky. You might have said that's what he made a mistake with. And comes out. No, we don't assume that he. We don't assume that he made such a mistake. It would be invalid testimony. Okay, back to Chomet. So remember, in our Mishnah, we had a machlokes. No, we had a three-way machlokes. Was it in the Mishnah that we had all three opinions? Yep. We had a three-way machlokes in our Mishnah. When do you have to stop eating Chomet? When do you have to burn Chomet? All three opinions held you start burning Chomets at the beginning of the six hour. Again, Doraisa Chomets only becomes Osur at the end of the six hour. But the Rabbonon, you have to start burning Chomets at the beginning. However, Rebbe Meir said you stop eating Chomets. You can eat Chomets during the fifth hour. So you go straight from eating Chomets. At the end of the fifth hour, you stop eating Chomets and you start burning your Chomets. Rebbe Yudah says no. You eat Chomets during the fourth hour. The fifth hour, you leave your chametz. You can feed your chametz to your animals. That's an important to remember. What does it mean when it says you leave your chametz? You can feed your chametz to animals. You can sell your chametz to non-Jew. You can get benefit from your chametz, but you're not allowed to eat it. That's during the fifth hour. And then in the sixth hour, again, you start to burn it. Rabbi Gamil says, in the fourth hour, you stop to you eat chametz. In the fifth hour, you're not allowed to eat chametz except truma. Remember, truma is uh, holy. And you're not supposed to get rid of it unnecessarily. So therefore the rabbis give you an extra hour to eat truma. Again, you, there's only so much you can eat at once. So if they give you more time, there's more likelihood you'll eat more of the truma and you'll have to burn less of it. And then in the sixth hour, you start to burn your chomets. Those are the five, the three opinions. So Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman said in the name of Rav Nachman, is like Rabbi Yehuda. So Omer Lei Ravel Rav Nachman Vnei Mamar Halacha Kerebi Meir the Stamlon Tanik Avaisei says, but you should say that the Halacha is like Rebbe Meir because we have an anonymous Mishnah like him. Remember, one of the codes Rebbe gave us to how to paskin is if a Mishnah, if you find a Machloikes somewhere and then you find an anonymous Mishnah. You should follow the anonymous Mishnah, whichever opinion that lines up with. Where do we see a, an anonymous Mishnah like Rabbi Meir? It says, Whenever you're allowed to eat chomets, you're allowed to feed the chomets to your animals. When is the time that according to Rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda holds in the fifth hour, you can't eat but you can feed? Rabbi Meir is the one who holds in the fifth hour, you can eat and you can feed. Therefore, it must be Rabbi Meir. He says, actually, that's not an anonymous Mishnah. Because of the difficulty of mutar. If you look over there, this is the first Mishnah in the second parak. If you look there, the Gemara says you're phrasing the Mishnah wrong. Um, the Mishnah said, if it wanted to tell us like Rabbi Meir, it could have just said, whenever you're eating, you can feed. Why does it say when mutar lechel you're allowed to eat? I must be going on someone else and I must be referring to a Kohen. So there the Gomorrah actually explains the Mishnah referring to Rabban Gamliel. 
not Rebbe Meir. So there's not a good source that the halacha should be like Rebbe Meir. Why don't we say like the halacha is like Ramon Gamliel? Because he's the machria. He's the opinion between the two. We have Rebbe Yehuda who says you have to stop eating in the fourth. At least don't eat in the fifth. But you can feed in the fifth. And Rebbe Meir says you can eat in the fifth. Ramon Gamliel's between the two. He says you can't eat regular food. But you can eat truma. So we should take the middle opinion. So Amalei Rabban Gamliel, la machriya hu tam amri. He's not machriya. Rabban Gamliel, actually, he's not being machriya. He's totally independent. Um, Rashi points out that if our Mishnah would have said, if Rabbi Yehuda would have said something along the lines of, in the fourth and in the fourth hour, regular food and truma you can eat. In the fifth hour, regular food and truma you can't eat. Then when Rabban Gamliel comes along and says you can eat, Shuma in the fifth hour, then he's machria, then he's half-half. But by the fact that Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Meir make no distinction in the type of chometz, they just said chometz you can eat up until the fourth, or Rabbi Meir says chometz up until the fifth, it's a blanket statement, and that would be, so therefore they're not machria. The e-boys, Rav, the Omar, Actually, another possibility is Rav's following, is going after the following opinion. The Tanya, we learned in a price. If the 14th of Nisan, I Erev Pesach, when you're supposed to be burning your chomets, falls out on Shabbos, you burn your truma before. Whether it is, well, for sorfin, trumos, tameos, tluyas, for taharos, you burn all your truma. Whether it's truma that is definitely tome, truma that is maybe tome, or truma that is tahor, you burn it before Shabbat. Umoshairinon min hatahoros umazon shteisuras kedai lechol adalet shals. Divrei reblezer ben Yehuda ishbartusa, sheoma mishum reb Yeshua. However, you put aside two meals worth of truma, again, if you're kohen, to eat up until the fourth hour the following day. Okay, so you're putting aside two meals. So again, you can't burn your chomets on Erev Pesach this year because it's the year that we're in discussion because it is Shabbos. So when you burn it, you burn your truma on Erev Shabbos. Comes along Rabbi Yeshua, he says, however, you keep two meals to eat up until the fourth hour. It says, The sages said to Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi You shouldn't burn it. Maybe you'll get a visitor who will eat some of your truma tahora. And then you're burning truma for nothing. It says, Obviously, you've already looked to try to find someone to give your truma to, and there's no one to eat it. So, maybe he was staying outside the city and he's going to rock up on Shabbos morning. Well then, according to you, Rabbon, and who say that you have to be concerned that maybe you'll find out, find someone to eat, well then maybe even your doubtful trumma you should keep, because maybe Eliyahu Anovi will come, and then he'll tell you whether that trumma that you're not sure whether it's Tomei or not, is Tahar. So you should also leave that. So they said, no, Eliyahu's not going to come on Erev, on Shabbos, Eliyahu is not going to come on Erev Shabbos or Erev Yom Tov because of the Torah. 
Remember, everyone's so busy getting ready for Shabbos and Yom Tov. If Eliyahu rocks up and you have to go greet him and announce and start getting exciting because he's coming to tell us that Moshiach is coming soon, it really gets interferes with your preparation for Shabbos and Yom Tov. Amru loy zazmi sham ad shekova alacha karebi elazo ben Yehuda ish bartusa she amar rebi shum rebi Yoshua. And he says they didn't move from there. Oh, remember we discussed this in a Ruvin, Eliyahu Anovi coming, because remember Eliyahu Anovi can't fly from place to place because he can't come into, he can't go past the Tchum. Wherever he's staying, he can't come within 10 Fochim of the ground because that's without the Tchum. So that's why Eliyahu Anovi can't come on Shabbos and Yom Tov. But on Erev Shabbos and Yom Tov, he also won't come because... Um, because it will disturb all the Jews who have to get ready for Shabbos and Yom Tov. Interesting enough, that's why they bring, I think one of the opinions of Vudraham, it's a commentary on the Sirut, he brings, that's why there's a Minag to sing all songs about Eliyahu Anovi on Motzei Shabbos. Don't know if you've heard that Minag, or if you look in the Sirut, they printed all songs to do with Eliyahu Because finally, after two days, he couldn't come. Now he can come and tell us that Moshiach is coming. So we think these songs are uh, to do with him. Um, but that's, so, so again, Rabbi Yeshua, just to focus on the key point, Rabbi Yeshua basically, um, Rabbi Eliezer, Ben Yehuda, said that you burn all your chomets on Erev Shabbos except two meals worth that you keep for, um, two meals worth that you keep for Shabbos, for Friday night and Shabbos morning. And then the rest you would burn. The Chachamim weren't too happy with that. They said maybe you should keep the Tahor Trum in case you can find someone to eat it. But then the Gomorrah, the Brisa concludes, They did not move from there until they determined that the Halacha was like Rabbi Eliezer ben Yehuda. This is my love must be afilu lechol, even by the time you eat it. Remember, there's actually two interesting points in Two points in Rabbi Eliezer ben Rabbi Eliezer ben Yehuda. First point is that you burn all the truma except for two meals worth of toho truma on Erev Shabbos. The second point he says so that you can eat it in the fourth hour, implying like Rabbi Yehuda that you can't eat it in the fifth hour. So he says must be when we say the halachot like him, it's in both those points. It says Amar Papa Mishmaidarov a lolavair. No, we're not discussing what time you can eat the chometz. We're discussing whether you burn. All your truma, or only your truma to Maya and to Luyas. Says Vaaf Rebbe Sovela Dohor Rav Nachman. Well, actually, Rebbe also goes like Rav Nachman. Omer Ravin Bar Rav Adam Asib Adam Echod Shehivki Diska Malei Chometz Eitzel Yochanan Chakuka. There was someone who left two sa- a saddlebag worth of chometz with Rebbe Yochanan Bar Chakuka. Now, if someone leaves something by you, if you're looking after something on behalf of someone, you're not allowed to just sell it or do anything with it. To a degree, you're not even let's say not even allowed to touch it. Says Venokvo, and the bags were pierced, and Achber. Um, Achbarei had pierced the saddlebags, eaten through it, and the chomets were spilling out. And he came before Rebbe. He wanted to find out, can he sell it? He knows he's not allowed to, if someone gives you something to look after, you're not allowed to give, um, get rid of it. Also, um, But could he sell it now to save the owner a loss? It's all spilling out. It's nearly Pesach. So what did he say? So what shari shayna amalohimtin shni amalohimtin shlishis amalohimtin reviews amalohimtin? All these hours, first, second, third, fourth, he told um, he told Yochanan Chakukah, don't sell it, don't sell it. Maybe the owner will come and he can eat it. 
Revius Chamishis Omelet Seo Makra Bashuk. In the fifth hour, he said, Go and sell it in the marketplace. Oh, what do we see? That he gave the owner the opportunity to come till the fourth hour to eat it, but then by the fifth hour, he said, You better sell it. He says, My love, who are you selling it to? Who's going to buy this chomets in the fifth hour? My love, the Nachrim Karebura. It must be sell it to non Jews. And this is in accordance with Rabbi Yehuda. What did Rabbi Yehuda say? You can eat it the fourth and you can get benefit, but you can't eat it in the fifth. So Amr Rabbi Yosef, Loyal Yisrael, Karebi Meir. Maybe he's saying you can go and sell it to a Jew like Rabbi Meir. So Amr Yisrael, If he's allowed to get benefit from it in the fifth hour, why does Rabbi tell him go sell it? Why doesn't he just eat it himself? Must be by the time the fifth hour comes, he's not allowed to eat it, and that's why he goes and sells it to an non-Jews. He says, no, Mishum Chashara. People suspect him, the Tanya, as we learned, similar to what we learned in Abraisa. Gabay Tzedaka, She'ein Lohemanim Lechalek. What happens if there's no one? He's got all these uh, uh, copper coins. Remember, you give the poor people small coins, each poor person, a few coins. But the problem with the copper coins is they erode. And they go down in value. So he says, so what happens if there's no anim to distribute to that wheat? It says, He must exchange the prutas for silver coins with someone else, but not himself. Similarly by food, someone who's in charge of a soup kitchen. And there's no poor people to distribute the food to. He should rather distribute, sell it to other people, but he's not allowed to sell it to himself because the Pasuk says you must be clean in the eyes of Hashem and Yisrael. Ah, you mustn't even open for people to suspect you. If you run a charity and at the end of the week people see you taking the coins and switching them for a gold coin, they're going to say you gave yourself a good exchange rate. Or if you're selling the leftover food from the soup kitchen and you're taking it for yourself, people are going to say you sold it to yourself at a discount or you took it for yourself. Therefore, you don't do things like that. You don't do things that would bring people to suspect you of doing an issue. So, so to you, if someone gave you their food to look at, and instead of selling it in the marketplace and getting the value that you could and putting the money aside for him, you take it for yourself and put the money aside, people are going to suspect you. So he says, that's why you can't sell it to yourself. So I'm like Rav the Rav Yosef, Rav Avre says to Rav Yosef, Actually, when you taught us Rav Yosef, remember we've seen this actually quite a few times, Rav Yosef got ill and forgot a lot of his learning. He said, well, when you were teaching it to us, you told us explicitly that Rebbe told him to go sell it to non-Jews because Jews can't eat it anymore and therefore it's like Rebbe Yehuda. Okay, but in short, in this b'risa, what do we see? Um that Rebbe Paskin like Rebbe, um, that we have the easiest way to read Rebbe um, Elazo ben Yehuda and how Rav Yosef explained the incident with Rebbe and Rebbe and Yosef and Chakuka, that the halacha is like Rebbe Yehuda. And actually that's how we practice. I don't know if you remember from Erev Pesach, but there's a time on the calendar that says you can eat your chomets up until X. I think it's about 10.15 or so. I don't remember exactly. And then you can't eat your chomets, but you can feed it to your animals. You can sell it. You can do whatever other things with it up until time X, around 11-ish, maybe a bit earlier. And then you must start to burn your chomets. So that's like Rebbe Yehuda. That's how we pass can. Just one fascinating thing that comes up in this discussion 
Um, again, it's a very, it's one of those things that are like small, but have a lot of discussion on it's what should you do? I'll, the starting point is how many meals do we have on Shabbos? You know, there's a mitzvah to have three meals. And it's brought in Shulchan Aruch, really, for all three meals, you should have bread. Okay, we're lenient with Surah really, and the Aruch HaShulchan is actually quite strict about this, but really you should be having three meals of bread. So that's why we vas at Friday night, we vas Shabbos morning, and we vas for Surah Shlishim. There are lenient opinions that no, you don't have to have bread for Surah Shlishim, you can have Mazonas, or lenient opinions that you can even get away with just fruit and things like that. But you should really try three meals for Yom Tov. You run into trouble on when Shabbos falls out on Erev Pesach, you run into trouble. Because you're not allowed to have Chomets past midday, and according to the Rabbonin, even past the 10th hour. So you can't have Chomets. You're also not allowed to have Matzah on Erev Pesach. Actually, the Gomorrah we'll see later says quite a disparaging comment about those who have Matzah on Erev Pesach. Um, it's, uh, yeah. um, so you don't have matzah on Erev Pesach so what do you do for your third meal Friday night you can have hamotzi bread uh, Shabbos morning you can have bread but for min, but after the time of destroying Chomets after whatever with um, the fourth hour according to this opinion you can't have bread anymore and you can't have matzah so what do you do for Surah Shlishit? So they bring from here, if you look, what did, what did Rabbi Yeshua, um, what did Rabbi Lezeben Yehuda say? How much truma did he say you should leave over? He said you should leave over two meals worth. Not three meals worth, two meals worth. And if you look at Rashi, um, where was it? Um, Rashi says, he says, Pesach Oh, not only that, sorry, there's an issue to eat late on the afternoon before Pesach. We'll see that in the last parak. But it's also also to eat late afternoon before Pesach. You're not allowed to have a meal. So it seems according to this Gemara and according to Rashi, how they learn here, is actually Iraq. Every Shabbos of the year, you have a mitzvah to have three meals. On this Shabbos, there are things that override that and you only have two meals. That's the one solution and that's what it seems from here. On the other hand, others have different solutions, but they don't seem to be how this Gemara is learning. The other solution that people bring, what do you do on Erev Pesach if it's Shabbos? Again, you can't have a late Surah Shlishit. You can't eat bread in the afternoon and you can't have matzah on every place. So what do you do? So as, as we said, from this Gomorrah and from Rashi here, it implies you just have two meals. You have Friday night and Shabbos morning. Others, I think in South Africa this seemed to be quite the, a popular version, um, you actually split your morning meal into two. You dive an extra early, have a first half of lunch, have main course, have a first course, vas have first course, have a break, go for a walk, play a game, learn, you know, have a break. And then come back and thus again and start and have that as your third meal. So you split your second meal into two. That's one solution. And another solution is you don't have, you're out, you only have two meals with bread. And in the third meal, you rely on the lenient opinion. You rely on the lenient opinion of, uh, of having, 
fish or meat or something like that, some other food and not bread. But that's an interesting discussion that comes out from this Gomorrah. Okay, let's carry on. We were with, um, we're right at the bottom of the page. Omar of Yosef, come on, Oslo Rebbe. Who does the following opinion of Rebbe go like? Rebbe Shimon Gamliel. Like Rebbe Shimon Gamliel. Ditnan, as we learned in the Mishnah. If you deposit produce by your friend, even if they're starting to rot, avudin, they're starting to lose value, you're not allowed to touch them. says, no, you save, you sell them in, before Beisdin, you sell them so that people see that you're not stealing. Because of Ashavas Aveda. If you're not going to sell this food, it's going to start to rot. Someone gave you a box of apples to watch and he hasn't come to collect it. If you don't sell it before you know it, they're going to be worthless. So it's actually returning his lost object to sell it. It says, No, it can actually be both opinions. Didn't we say in the name of Rabbi Yochanan regarding this mission? If it's depreciating at a normal depreciation, if it's going to lose its full value, it's going to depreciate a lot. Definitely by here where the fruit is rotting or where it's going to lose its value entirely, you should sell it. Okay, so it's not necessarily just rash bucket can actually fit in with both opinions. Okay, now we go back to the... Mishnah. So the Mishnah mentioned that there was a weight that in the base of Midrash they used to put two, they had two loaves and then they would, as long as both those loaves were visible, chalos from a toida that was possible, an invalid korban toida, as long as there were those two loaves, everyone knew they could eat chomets. If they took one of those loaves, everyone realized that they had to stop eating, but they could still feed it to the animals, etc. And then when both loaves were taken away, then they knew that they had to start burning their chomets. So Tony Tanakami, the Rav Yehuda, Rav Yehuda was teaching this before, someone was teaching this before Rav Yehuda, and Al-Gavha Itzbebo, and he said, on top of the bench, I, Omar they're trying to keep it secret, Tani Al-Gavha Itzbebo, Read that they put it on the roof of the Itztaba. As we're going to see in the Gomorrah now, they had, on Harabais, they had these rows of benches, which were covered with the roof. It's called, I don't know the exact uh, technical, a colonnade or something like that. Um, but there, so he says, don't put it on the seat bench, no one will see it. Put it on the roof of the colonnade, and then it's high up on Harabais, which remember was high up in its, it was a higher, it was a mountain. So therefore, everyone could see it. It says, Omar... Rachba um, Harabais was a double colonnade. There was two rows of benches. Tanya Namihachi Harabais Stiv Kofel Hoyo. Harabais was a doubled coffee. Rabbi Yehuda Omer Rabbi Yehuda says Istavinas Hoysonikras. They called it Istavinas. Stiv Lifnim Mistiv a row a colonnade within a colonnade a row of chair a row of benches again with the roof over under a row of within a row of benches. So there was this double row of benches I think for people to sit on and stay in the shade now the Mishnah mentioned that they used loaves of bread from a toida which was possible let's just go one step back what's a korban toida so remember korban toida is people bring specifically for four incidents you know someone who was very sick and they recovered someone who cro- traveled across the desert someone who traveled across the sea and someone who 
was in jail and released, you bring a korban toida. Korban toida consists of an animal and 40 loaves of bread. 10 different types of loaves. Sorry, four different types, each type 10 of, and one of the types were chomets. So there were 10 loaves of, with every toida offering, there were 10 loaves of chomets. There's also opinions that anyone can bring a korban toida. Anytime you're feeling appreciation for Hashem, you can bring a toida. Let's, uh, let's keep with that opinion just to keep it simple. So, he says, so why, did they, why, were they, why did they use possible bread? Why was the bread possible? Since there were so many korban toda, so much bread, that they became possible with being left overnight. The Tanya, as we learned to the you're not allowed to offer a korban toda on, on Pesach. Because of the chomets in it. Remember, 10 of the, chom- 10 of the 40 loaves are chomets. You're not allowed to offer the chomets. It's pshitta. That's obvious. Obviously, you're not allowed to offer this korban on Pesach. So, No, it's telling us you're not even allowed to offer it on the 14th. You're not allowed to go to the Vesa Migdash on the morning of Erev Pesach and offer this korban Torah. Why not? Because of our Ein Mevin Kodshim, the Vesa Psul, you're not allowed to cause Kodshim that it will become possible. Uh, what's that very interesting halacha? I don't know if you um, will see it more uh, uh, towards the end of Shas again. But if you, you're not allowed to do something that would restrict the time you're allowed to eat the korban, which might cause, which more likely cause some of it to become invalid. Remember, all korbanos have a expiry date, a time when you're allowed to eat it. The korban toida, you're allowed to eat it the day you offer it until the following morning. Once it's left past that time, then you're not allowed to eat it. You're not allowed to cut that time short. You're not allowed to, let's say, offer the korban on Erev Pesach when it becomes also not the following morning. It becomes also a few hours later, according to Rabbi Yehuda, at the end of the fourth hour, according to Doris, at the end of the sixth hour. But you cause the, but there's less time to eat it. There's less time to eat it. So there's more chance that it will be left over and it will be possible. So that's why you're not allowed to bring your offering on Erev Pesach because you cause it to be also to eat sooner. And therefore everyone would come and bring their sacrifice on the 13th. And therefore since there were so many, they would often become possible by being left over at night. Again, remember, everyone's going up to pace to the temple for Pesach anyway. So if you owe any korbanos, that's when you're going to bring them. So everyone who owes a korban toida is going to bring it on the 13th. And therefore, there were so many loaves of bread going around that there would be left over. And that's what the following morning, they left over, they lina, they've been left overnight, they're now possible, they're invalid. And they can't be eaten, and therefore they would use two of those loaves as the signal for chomets. That's why they were possible, that's why they were there. Interesting enough, why were there so many loaves by the korban toida? Similar, I think there's a similar idea to Hanukkah, that's why I'll mention it, is you have 40 loaves with the toida because you yourself are never going to be able to eat that much. So you have to publicize and invite people and share it with people. So you publicize in the miracle, the kindness, what you appreciative of Hashem for. I think that's a little bit similar lesson to Pirsum Nisa. We find by Hanukkah that we want to publicize the miracle, the good, the good that Hashem does for us. Okay, 
So that's the first version. The first version is they were actually possible. They had been left of an art and they were possible. Totally different uh, option. Says no, they were actually kosher loaves. They weren't possible. Ah, oh, so why are they called possible in the Mishnah? Because they didn't slaughter the sacrifice. Of a nishchot. You can't eat. The loaves are still valid, but you can't eat them until the blood of the animal that accompanies them has been sprinkled on the Mizbech. So he says, so just shech them. He says, where you offered the sacrifice. So bring another sacrifice and shech them, and then you can eat these loaves. He says, no, where he declared that this is, the, this is my toida sacrifice and this is the bread for it. Rabba taught that if you lose the bread, you can replace it. If you lose the sacrifice, but you have the bread, you can't replace the sacrifice. Why not? Because the bread is secondary. It's brought because of the sacrifice. Therefore, if you lose the sacrifice, you can't replace the sacrifice. That bread is secondary to the sacrifice. Also redeem them. Until you've actually done the shchita, granted their kadosh, they have kadushas damim, they have a value. They're not intrinsic, they don't have kadushas aguf, they have kadushas damim. They don't have an intrinsic kadusha, they have a, their monetary value is kadosh. So just redeem them and have them as regular bread. So that can't. So the answer can't be that you just didn't check the sacrifice or you lost it, because then you would uh, that you didn't check the sacrifice, because then you'd be able to redeem it and still eat that bread, and you wouldn't just leave it on the roof to tell people when they can't eat. It says the case must be that he sprinkled the blood, he did the shchit of the sacrifice, and he. Um, and he spilt the blood, the coin, they dropped the blood, so now they can't sprinkle the blood on them. And this is like Rebbe. When there are two things that permit the eating of a sacrifice, it raises its level, it makes it Kedusha Sakuf, even if you have the one without the other. In the case of the Lachmai Toida, there's two processes in that make it permitted. First is you have, so you have this bread of the Toida, you shech the animal as a sacrifice, that's the first stage in making it permitted to eat. And then the second stage that concludes it is you sprinkle the blood on the Mizbah. So what Rebbe is telling us, as soon as you do the one, as soon as you shech it, it makes the loaves Kedusha Saguf. It raises their level of Kedusha. Just you still can't eat it until you've done the sprinkling of the blood. So now we understand why you can't eat these loaves. These were two. These were loaves from a toida that they had shechted the animal and spilt the blood. And now there's nothing they can do with the bread because it's kedusha sakuf. And by the next morning it's going to become invalid. Um, but it's not possible. It's not invalid that you have to burn it yet. And therefore. Um, it's not oh, and that's why you leave it. Um, that's why you put them on the roof as the signal. But that's why it's, they're really kosher, but they're not yet. They're not yet possible. And where do we see this concept that if you have two things, matter? So we're going to bring the proof from the the keves of the kivseatzeres, the shtalechem. On shvuas, the special offering was two lambs and two loaves of bread. And again, it's the 
Shechita and the sprinkling of the blood, those two aspects that permit the Kohanim to eat the bread. So the Tanya kids out there is Ein Mekachem Elo Alechem. Ein Mekachem Es Alechem Elo Beshechita. Regarding the lambs of Shvuas, the bread only becomes Kodosh through Shechita. Kate how does that work? Shochten Lishmon Vizorkin Damom Lishmon. If you do the Shechita for the sake of the, the correct intent, I lishmom for the loaves of that series and you sprinkle the blood as the loaves of that series, kidesh alech and the bread becomes kodosh. Shochton shelolishmon vizor kontamom shelolishmon. If you shechted them for wrong intent, let's say regular shlomim, and you sprinkle the blood with the wrong intent, loy kidesh alech and the bread does not become kodosh. What happens if shochton lishmon, you did the first stage correctly, you did the shchita for the sake of the kivsat series, but you sprinkled the blood with the wrong intent. I for a regular shlomim. The kadosh ve'ena kadosh. Divrei Rebbe. Rebbe says it's kadosh and it's not kadosh. Ayat. He's Rashi explains it's kadosh kedushas haguf, but it's not kadosh in that you can't eat it. Rebbe Elazar be Rebbe Shimon Omer la'olam ena kadosh halechem ad yishchot lishmon beizrok damam lishmon. Rebbe Lazar Rebbe Shimon says no. The bread does not even become Kedushas HaKuf until you do the Shechita and the Zrika with the correct intent. But what do we see from Rebbe? Rebbe says when you have two stages in making something edible, the first stage makes it Kedushas HaKuf, permitting it to be eaten. The first stage makes it Kedushas HaKuf, completely holy. And the second stage makes it... Um, it permits you to eat it. Rabbi Loza says, no, you need both stages to make it Kedusha Sakuf. So it doesn't seem to fit in with Rabbi Loza Rabbi Shimon. says, I actually, I feel a tamer, Rabbi Loza Rabbi Shimon. You can actually even say it is Rabbi Loza Rabbi Shimon. What's the case here? It's where you caught the blood and it spilt. Rebbe Shimon holds anything that could be sprinkled is as if it has been sprinkled. I strange. So, all the psulim that apply to some that to a korban kick in as soon as you've received the blood in the bowl and are ready to sprinkle it. And therefore, even though you spilt it, it is actually kedusha shaguf. It does become invalid with being left overnight, etc. And Tana Mishum Rebbe Loza Omer Kesheros. Yeah, so that's um, just the loaves cannot be eaten because they require zrika. You have to sprinkle the blood. So again, so where, in a way where you sprinkle the blood, where you shech the korban or sprinkle the blood with the wrong intent has an aspect that it's well, less probably worse. From regards to the bread side, it could be worse than um, spilling the blood because when you spill the blood, then it could have been sprinkled and it was ready to be sprinkled. So all halachas regarding that it will become invalid when left overnight, etc. That is Kedusha's Guf, kick in. Okay, now we're going to give a different answer. Again, up till here, the first answer we gave, the first explanation we got those two loaves that they put on the roof. The first answer was that they were apostle. They were from a korban toida that was left overnight, they apostle. The second one is that they really kosher. That's what we've been discussing now. It's just that the sacrifice was shechted and the blood was spilt. So there's no way to make that bread ever permitted to eat. It will actually become possible when it's left too long. But those are the loaves that they used. And now a third version. Rebbe Loza says they were actually kosher. 
as long as they were placed on the roof, everyone would eat their chametz. Nitla achas mehem toilin lo ochlin v'lo sofrin. When then they would take one, they wouldn't. They would take one down, and Tosos points out, and then they would eat it quickly. And then, but when sorry, yeah, they would take one down and eat it, but they wouldn't. And everyone would know that they could not. They don't have to destroy their chametz, but they can't eat it anymore. Nitlushteim. Once both of them were taken, itchilu kulon sorfim. Then they would take. Um, then they would start to burn them. Tosfos point out what would they do with that second loaf if it was a kosher lechem Torah? How can you leave it to become invalid? He says no. This is the opinion that you can eat the the puzzle chametz in the fifth the. the Kodshim and Truma and stuff you can eat in the fifth hour. So at the end of the fifth hour, they would take it down and eat it quickly. And that's why, so they were proper loaves of a Korban Torah that could still be eaten. They would take the one down at the end of the fourth hour and eat it. And then everyone would know that their regular Chomets, they have to stop eating. But they totally, they don't have to burn it yet. At the end of the fifth hour, they would take down the loaf, eat it quickly, and everyone would know that now you can't eat any more chomets and you have to start burning it. Tanya Abashul, Amr Abashul says, no, there was actually a totally different siman. What was the sign? They would have two cows plowing on, Har, that's what we, I think Harazesim, the mountain of olives. The uh, mountain of oil calls Manchesteim Khorshos Kolam Oichlin. As long as both cows were there, everyone would know they could eat Chomets. Nitla Achas Mayhem, Toilin Vela Oichlin. As soon as one of the cows were taken away, everyone knew that they had to stop eating. But they didn't Vela Sorfin, but they didn't have to burn their Chomets yet. Nitlu Shteim, once both of them were taken, Itchilu Kolaam Sorfin, then everyone would begin to burn their Chomets. Okay, so different simanim, how they would tell, but it seems very clear. We, if not like Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, we go like Rabbi Yehuda, that we get rid of our chomets on the fourth hour. You can eat chomets during the fourth hour. During the fifth hour, you're not allowed to eat it, but you can still get other sorts of benefits. You can feed it to your animals, you can sell it to non-Jews, etc. And at the end of the fifth hour, the sixth hour, that's when you burn your chomets. Okay, and we'll leave it there for today. Have a very good Shabbos.